Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I am the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today's special guest received a PhD in biology from the Wiseman Institute of Science and completed his postdoctoral fellowship at MIT before going on to found Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by top scientists from acclaimed universities in the fields of aging, genetics, and biology. And Inside Tracker is truly a personalized platform and performance system. Dr. Gil Blander, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure, Lucas. Awesome. So, Dr. Gil Blander, did you maybe want to let my listeners know a little bit more about yourself and maybe how your you know, journey unfolded? Sure. So, as you mentioned, I'm an Israeli background born and raised there. And from a a very young age, I was uh, fascinated by the aging process. I wanted to live forever. I wanted to delay the onset of aging-related diseases. I want to improve the health span, not only the lifespan. And that's why I decided to study biology. As you said, I done my PhD at the Weizmann Institute of Science. At that time, I studied premature aging syndrome called Werner syndrome, which is a kind of progeria. Actually, it's a very rare disease, uh, mainly in Japanese population, uh, one in eight million. 
And what happened to those poor uh, patients is that uh, at the age of uh, around uh, 20, they're starting to decay fast, and they are dying at the age of 40 or so from a premature aging syndrome, so grain of the air, cancer, and so on. So I uh, uh, researched this uh, syndrome during my PhD study. And then I moved to the lab of Lenny Garente, which is one of the leader of aging research. As you said, he is located at MIT here in Boston. And I studied a group of protein or group of genes that call a CIR2 or CIR1 or CIR1 to 7. And those group of genes have been shown to be related to longevity. Lenny discovered that the CIR2, which is the homolog in East, have been shown to increase uh, lifespan when you overexpress it, and a premature age when you delete it. This lab also showed that when you look at the homolog of uh, the CIR2 in uh, worms, you see a similar effect. Lenny and others showed that actually in some mice, you can see an effect of uh, the CIR2 family. A former postdoc in that lab, David Sinclair, which uh, now is very famous, so I assume that uh, all of your listeners know about him, showed that the activator of CIR2 or activator of CIR-T1, which is the homologue of human in mice, have been shown to increase the lifespan of obese mice. Another former postdoctoral fellow at uh, the lab showed that overexpressing of CIR-T1 in the brain increased lifespan. Other people show that uh, another homologue of CIR2 is called CIR-6. It's basically the six homologues. There are seven in this family have been shown to increase lifespan in mice. So there is a lot of interesting data about CIR2 and the longevity in mice and in other uh, model organisms. So I studied this protein for a few years. I looked at the effect of this protein on uh, skin differentiation, on uh, skin aging. I was trying to find the activator or inhibitors of this uh, protein. I also looked at the effect of this protein on cancer and actually found interesting discovery that uh, actually this protein might be a tumor suppressor, a gene basically inhibit cancer. But during my time at MIT, I started to be exposed to the biotech pharmaceutical industry via uh, Lenny and other. And I realized that I might be able to contribute more to humanity for start one company than being a professor in the academia. And I decided after five years at MIT to move to the industry. I worked in a system computational biology company. And during my spare time, I uh, decided to build a model of caloric restriction. And I assume that uh, your audience know what is caloric restriction, correct? Of course, yeah. yeah. So basically what I've done, I, uh, I said, let's collect all the publicly available data of caloric restriction and look at basically microarray data. Microarray is basically look at all the genome-wide changes of gene expression in caloric restricted mice versus normal mice. And I looked at different tissues, liver and muscle and the brain and heart and other, and tried to see, to build a model and see what are the processes that the caloric restriction regulated. Because at that time, even a bit right now, not everything clear about why caloric restriction extends lifespan. So I developed that model and I found around 18 different processes that are actually changes if you compare caloric restriction mice to normal mice. 
Luckily, I also added a couple of uh, control. And one control was to take the data from a David Sinclair paper about the effect of resveratrol on uh, obese mice and uh, try to see what is the overlap between uh, caloric-restricted mice and uh, basically mice were treated with resveratrol. And to my surprise, what I've seen is that only 10% of processes that are regulated by caloric restriction were also regulated by a treatment with resveratrol. So that was a bit of a puzzling result because I was sure that it will cover everything. And I was thought a bit about that and then came to a conclusion together with a couple of other scientists that if the best mimetic, at that time that was the best mimetic, can mimic caloric restriction only in 10%. So the second best may be covered 9%. The next one, 8%, 7%. So we calculated that you might need 20 small molecules in order to cover the caloric restriction in a good way. And then we said, okay, but why to use a a small molecule? Why can't we use food as a drug of choice? We have 8,000 different food items. And we can actually try to fit the right food item for the right person based on what's happening inside their body and then try to optimize them. And if we'll optimize them, hopefully we'll allow them to be better, but also to live better, longer life. Mm. So we said, okay, but how would we know what are the issues that Lucas have versus what are the issues that Gil have? It's very hard to look at you and say, hey, you have this issue or that issue. So we very early zoomed into blood biomarkers because blood biomarkers are like a liquid gold, actually. We have a lot of data about them from the peer-reviewed scientific publication. We have more than a century of data about what are the cause and effect, what are the ranges, what are the interventions that you can use in order to optimize them. So we said, okay, let's look at blood biomarkers. And based on that, we'll uh, try to build a personalized plan for each person of what to do in order to optimize themselves. So then we looked into a Quest Diagnostic Catalog. Quest Diagnostic is the biggest diagnostic company in the U.S. And we (laughs) realized that there are around 4,000 at that time, around 4,000 different blood biomarkers. So we said, we we cannot test all of them. It will be super expensive, but also (laughs) you might not have enough blood in your vein to test all of those markers. So we spent a few years in pinpoint the biomarkers that are the most important for us to test. And we came with a few criteria. So first, it should be biomarker of health and not a disease. So basically, I don't want to test biomarker that will tell me whether you have cancer or not, because that's not my job. That's the job of the physician. But I want to look at markers that tell me whether you have a good metabolism or bad metabolism, whether you overexercise or underexercise, whether you are stressed or not stressed, and so on. So we said that's the first criteria. The second criteria was that we really wanted to optimize those biomarkers with a simple and natural intervention. So we didn't want to use drugs. So we said, can we modulate those biomarkers with food, supplement, exercise, or lifestyle changes? And the last one was, let's look at the biomarker that at least 1% of the population is out of normal. Because I felt like it will be a bit of a waste of money for a marker that only one in a million have an issue with. Mm. So based on that, today we have around 45 blood biomarkers that fit all of those criteria. Then when we had that, we said, okay, now we need to build a range for each of them. So I assume that you know in your audience know when you go to your physician, you receive a result and they are telling you whether you are normal or out of normal. 
But we said normal is not enough. Normal is boring. Normal is not exciting. We want to be optimal, especially you and your audience as, as a hair. We want to be optimal. We want to be in our best. So we develop an optimal zone for each person based on your age and gender and ethnicity and athletic activity. We develop an optimal zone for you based on the data from a peer review scientific publication and also based on a mega database that we have. And actually now we have a lot of users. I always joke in saying that we have the biggest database of free range humans that have blood in and fitness tracker. So we have a very nice database. We can discuss it a bit later. So based on all of that, we can develop an optimal zone for you that it's a bit narrower. So if the normal zone is like that, your optimal zone is like that. So it's a, a bit more narrower than a normal zone and allow you to fight harder and get into the optimal zone. And hopefully if we'll stay in the optimal zone, there is a less chance that you will be out of the normal range and less chance that you will be sick. Yeah. So that's another thing that we built. And then for the intervention, we said all the intervention that we are recommending to our users should be based on a peer-reviewed scientific publication. So we mined the literature again. We spent a lot of years. And actually now I have a team of scientists that continue to mine the literature. And we are entering all of this data into expert system that basically look into the information that you will receive from you as a user, your demographic information, your athletic activity, your goals, your food preferences, your supplementation, and all of that run in combination to the blood biomarkers that are not optimized, and your DNA, and the data from your fitness tracker, and this platform spit out the best recommendation for you based on all of that information. Mm. So that's in a nutshell the platform, my background, and the platform that we built. Yeah, incredible, incredible stuff. I've got so many questions. The first one, Gil, would be, I would love to uncover maybe some of these markers with my listeners, maybe maybe three or so that you think are like absolutely critical and that have the strongest degree of evidence. Maybe do you want to explore some of those? Yeah. So from what I understood, you are really interested in hormones, correct? So um, yeah. We, yeah. we can discuss those maybe. Um, yeah. so, so you have testosterone. I'm sure that uh, you and your audience, they know them very well. So testosterone is very important for a sexual function, but also for a building muscle. And actually some people or some athletes are exercising too much and then the testosterone going down. So what is interesting about testosterone, if you are not exercising, your testosterone will be lower than your potential. If you're exercising too much, it will be also lower. But if you find the right zone, it will be in the peak performance. Also, testosterone is influenced, and I'm sure that I'm not uh, telling you any new information. It's influenced by your sleep, it's influenced by your nutrition, and it's influenced by your stress. So there are a lot of things that influence the testosterone. So that's an example of a marker that we're testing. In the other side, another very important hormone, and I'm sure that you and your audience know a lot about that, is cortisol, the stress hormone. So if testosterone is an anabolic building muscle, cortisol is breaking muscle. And when we are stressed, and in the last couple of years, we had COVID and all of that, a lot of us become stressed. So when cortisol is high, and especially chronic high cortisol, actually that's caused breaking muscle and the people that are trying to exercise and build muscle, it's very hard for them to do that. Another marker, interesting marker that's important for athletic active population is a marker called creatine kinase, which Mm. is a marker of muscle damage. Mm. And when we exercise or when we exercise too much, the cortisol, sorry, the creatine kinase can leak from the muscle to the bloodstream. 
And I can give you an example. For a normal person, the normal range is, let's say, below 200 units per uh, liter. Someone that ran marathon and ran it and got a lot of muscle damage, creatine kinase can jump to 15,000. So you can see a very nice, a very, not nice, but very big increase in the, in the level of creatine kinase. And what that signal that it's, you had a lot of muscle damage. So that's a market that is good to test to find whether you have an issue with, and then you can intervene and improve it. And other interesting markers are all the marker of a, a liver function. I don't know if you and your audience heard about them, ALT, AST, GGT. Those are markers actually of liver damage, but some of them can be also related to muscle damage. Yeah. So ALT and AST are also located in the muscle. So if you have ALT and AST together with creatine kinase, that means that you have muscle damage. If you have them together with GGT, without creatine kinase, that means that you have liver damage. Okay? So we're starting to look into combination. And liver damage can occur with, from a lot of reasons. One reason is that you drink too much alcohol, and then you have liver damage. Another reason is that you eat too much fat. Another one that you eat too much. <laughs> Another reason is that you are taking too many drugs or too many supplements. So there are a lot of reasons why uh, you can have liver damage. And liver is so important. So it's very important for us to know whether you have liver damage or not. And with the combination, you can start pinpoint the issues. Another uh, important marker is, markers are the inflammation. And we learn more and more that inflammation is uh, maybe one of the most important causes of aging. And uh, if you have high inflammation, you have less chance to have a long lifespan and long health span. And we have maybe around 10 different markers related to inflammation to try to pinpoint inflammation. Another set of markers are markers of iron metabolism. And it's very important to have it because iron helps to build the hemoglobin that build the part of the red blood cells that they carry oxygen from our lungs to muscle and brain. And if you don't have enough of that, you compromise your performance either on the podium or in the boardroom. So those are a few examples of markers that we are testing and allowing our users to understand and pinpoint the issues that they have. And then we can give them some specific recommendation what to do in order to optimize their body. Yeah, incredible. Since you mentioned some of the inflammatory markers, Gil, I'm curious to know, like, Post-virus, we don't have to mention the word. Um, not everyone knows. What have you seen, like, in terms of how it shows up on someone's blood work? Have you noticed, like, general patterns? Maybe certain white cell markers have been skewed even weeks after the virus or inflammatory markers? Like, what have you found? Yeah, definitely when you have a, it's well known that when you have an infection, one of the best markers for inflammation called a HSCRP or high sensitivity C-reactive protein, you definitely can see it. I have it for my, myself. One, a few years ago, I had an infection and I went to test it. So my HSCRP jumped from a level of below one to level of 10. So it's uh, well known that uh, HSCRP is <laughs> increasing significantly when you have an infection. And then you have what we call the white blood cells. So it's a lot of different kinds of cells. Basically, it's all the immune cells. So yes. when you have an infection, your white blood cells as a whole increase significantly, but depending on the kind of infection that you have, a specific subpopulation can go up 
lymphocyte, azonophils, and other. And then based on that, you can pinpoint exactly what kind of immune issue you have. So that's what's nice about, again, Mr. Tracker, that we are looking at the multifactorial issues. And we are looking, as I said, around 45 blood biomarkers that allow us to pinpoint exactly what are the issues that you have. Hopefully, there are small issues. And then based on that, we can give you a plan of exactly what you should do. And hopefully uh, that will help you to optimize your body and <laughs> keep the doctor away from you for at least another use. Yeah. And as far as some of the intervention skill, like I know you mentioned, I mean, one that's got probably the strongest level of evidence would be that caloric restriction. Maybe do you want to sort of expand upon that? I mean, like how is that defined? Is that just sitting just below your basal metabolic needs or like, how is that defined? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think that we can discuss it for 24 hours at least, but uh, uh, maybe I will give a, a bit of background of, uh, on caloric restriction, if it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So caloric restriction was actually discovered in the 1930s. So a scientist done an experiment on rats and basically cut their calories by 30 to 50%. And what you have seen that those rats lived actually 30 to 50% longer, okay? Then a lot of other scientists done this experiment with rats, mice, and they've seen similar results. Recently, even some experiments were done in worms and the yeast and fish and even monkeys. There is data on monkeys. The majority of the data on monkeys is showing that it's extended lifespan. Actually, there is one experiment that doesn't show it, but we are not sure if it's an artifact of the experiment or not. But at high level, you can see that in majority of model organisms, caloric restriction extends the lifespan. Now, there are a few different methods that you can do caloric restriction, and I'm still talking about mice. Let's keep mice for a while. So if you're uh, thinking as a scientist, you usually grow mice in a cage of, uh, let's say, four to five mice in a cage. And what you do is uh, you feed them ad libium, meaning you throw a, a lot of food in the cage and then they eat it. And every day the technician come and give them more food. So they, it's like, uh, let's say that it's like when you go to, Ch I don't know if you have a Chinese restaurant buffet in uh, Australia, but uh, it's something like that. You sit in a buffet yeah. And you eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and uh, you, you get like, a, <laughs> uh, you, you become very fat. So that, that's how we, uh, uh, how, how traditionally mice are fed in the lab. So when you do caloric restriction, you need to start feeding them and measure the amount of food that you feed them. So first, what you need to do is instead of growing them in a group, you need to grow each of them separately because you need to know exactly how much each mice ate. So instead of having for each four or five mice, one cage, you have five cages, okay? Then you need to go down every day and give them and measure the food and give it to each mice. So that's a lot of laborious work. It's very hard. It's time consuming. Think about that, that uh, over the weekend, you need to come and calculate it and feed them. So it's not easy to do. It's very expensive. So in the past, uh, one scientist said, oh, I'm, usually scientists are also creative. So he said, oh, what will happen if I will uh, feed them every other day? So feed them ad libium. But give them the food, and then the next day they won't have food, and the day after I'll give them the food again, okay? And then uh, he compared the result of that experiment to a result that you feed each mice and all of that, and what they found that actually the effects are similar. 
So that started, uh, if you translate to the human, it's a, a fasting every other day. So you eat one day as much as you want, and the other day uh, uh, you eat less. Then uh, we started to have, okay, let's eat as much as we want, uh, four days, and then one day fasting, or let's have intermittent fasting. So let's eat, uh, have the window of uh, eight hours of feeding and uh, 16 hours of fasting. So that's the translation of, let's say, the caloric restriction for mice to human. Now, if you look at human, what the data show, so first of all, it's very hard to see or to know if it's extended lifespan in human because we live too long. It will be, we can do that, but we might know the result in 50 years. So what we are doing with human, we are looking at markers of longevity. So a level of lipids, level of glucose or other metabolites, level of blood pressure and other. And the data showed that actually when you caloric restrict or intermittent fast human, you see that those markers on average become better. Another outcome of caloric restriction and also intermittent fasting is that you lose weight. And there is a lot of data in the literature that show that people with lower BMI have a better performance and have a better chance to be healthier and live longer. So in addition to that, if you think about an additional effect of caloric restriction is that when you eat, let's say intermittent fasting and you eat only in a window, you have more time for your digestive system and your body to rest and not uh, to walk all the time. If you think about it, the day that you eat before uh, you go to sleep, your gut is working hard and your quality of sleep is lower. But if you, let's say, eat a few hours before, it's easier for you to fall asleep and you also sleep better. Also, it's allow you to rejuvenate your body when you have that time that you caloric restrict your body. So there is a lot of data that suggests that caloric restriction is working. I want to say that there are some data in the literature that show actually that caloric restriction or let's say intermittent fasting working better in a males than females on average. So for males, it's easier if you look at markers such as BMI or weights. And it doesn't work for everyone. So some people it's working for them well, some people it's not. And I'm not sure that we know exactly why. Also, I want to recommend someone that is a super athletic active to do caloric restriction and go for a marathon run. No, you need to feed yourself for a marathon run because if not, you will uh, <laughs> digest your muscles because your body needs uh, uh, some energy source. So I think that uh, people need to be a bit more aware of that. And also the data from the literature actually show that if you look at the model organism, that even if you start caloric restriction in an older age, you see the benefits. So it's not like you need to start it at a very early age. It's better to start it at a very early age, but you don't have to. Also, it's not like you need to do it every day. And if you have a day off or a party day, let's call it, uh, you are doomed. No, you can uh, get the benefit even if, uh, I know, once a week or once a month, you have a party day. So I think that people need to understand that. You don't have to be religious about that. But definitely there are a lot of benefit of uh, caloric restriction or intermittent fasting. Yeah. So as far as like with some of the markers that you guys assess, like curious to know, like, have you had individuals that have, you know, they've never fasted before, then they've got some lab work done and then they've decided I'm going to undergo some fasting. Like what are some of the outcomes you've seen with some of these patients? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And actually, if people are interested, they can go to InstaTracker.com and there are some blog. We had a data scientist that done like five day fasting and another product manager that done, I don't know, seven days fasting. And it was fascinating to see the level of the markers. So as I said, you can see what I mentioned. You can see the metabolic related marker going much lower. So you can see the LDL and the glucose and other markers. So you can definitely see that. You can... Uh, uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to see, at least in the people that uh, we looked at that. And again, it's an N of one. So we haven't done a, a full study on that, on caloric restriction. But there are studies that the USDA done a study, multi-center study on human for a couple of years with caloric restriction. It's very hard in human to decrease the calories by 30 to 50% because uh, yeah. you cannot control us. We are not in the cage and our refrigerator is uh, I don't know, five meters away from us. <laughs> so it's very hard to do it. But what they, I think that if I recall correctly, they decrease the amount of calories by around 15%. Yeah. And they still see a positive effect on the metabolic related markers and the, wow. the blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as like some of the other interventions, Gil, can we sort of explore, like, I know we just sort of spoke about the caloric restriction side. What about like the specific macronutrient manipulation? So for example, adjusting, you know, going low on protein or higher on protein, lower on fat, what sort of studies have been done there? Yeah, so... That's not something that I'm an expert in or something that we are recommending. What we are recommending in our mantra is if you, you are talking maybe about keto diet and the high fat and the high protein and all of that, that's not something that we are recommending. We are not recommending normal people to go to the extreme. What we are trying to do, our uh, mantra is, let's understand your body and see what are the deficiencies that you have or what you have too much, and then let's adjust it and optimize your body. I can tell you that there is a lot of data about, let's say, other less extreme uh, diet, and I can talk about them, like Mediterranean diet or vegan diet or veggie diet that show a lot of uh, benefit of them. Again, related to metabolic-related markers and all-cause mortality and also diseases. But you need to remember that if you go for a veggie or specifically vegan diet, you have other side effects that you need to take into account because you most likely will have low iron and low B12. So in that case, you need to measure and then adjust it either by acquiring those nutrients from plant-based food or supplement with that. Mm. So as far as like inside tracker gear, I'd love to learn more about like maybe in the last couple of years, like how it's evolved and like maybe some of the new features and tools that you offer the patients. Yeah, yeah, sure. So first we don't have a patient, we have users. Our customers are all healthy. We are not dealing with anyone that is sick and our goal is to keep you healthy. And if you are sick, you should go to your physician. But what we had in the last couple of years is, as I said, we started with the blood biomarkers. We are adding all the time more and more markers to capture more and more a picture of your body. And in the last few years, we also had the data from your DNA and basically overlay the DNA on the blood biomarkers. So for example, not only that you have high glucose, but also whether you have high risk for high glucose. Mm. Or not only that you have high cholesterol, but also do you have a high risk for high cholesterol. Mm. 
or whether you are more fit for uh, endurance versus strength or vice versa, whether you might have a high chance to be sensitive to nuts or sensitive to gluten and so on. So we are using the DNA to support the data from the blood. And more recently, we had the data from a fitness tracker, such as resting heart rate and deep sleep and REM sleep and total sleep. And now we are working to add VO2 max and HRV and other to basically allow us to understand what's happening in your body right now based on physiology. So all of that together allow us to receive a high definition or maybe even 4K definition of your body, understand mm-hmm. your body very well, and then giving you a better recommendation because I'm sure that you heard the term garbage in, garbage out. So if we have a better information about your body, we can give you a better recommendation. Yeah. What about as far as, I know the microbiome is definitely an area that's of interest lately. Do you guys have any plans in terms of assessing things in relation to the microbiome? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Currently, there is not enough data to give a consumer a a recommendation about microbiome other than what is the diversity of the bacteria. Do you have high diversity or low diversity? But we are monitoring the literature very closely, and I'm starting to see a few sprout of uh, information that might be interesting. So we are looking into that, and I assume that in the next couple of years or so, we will add microbiome, and we'll do it again when we'll be ready. I can tell you that we added the DNA a few years ago only after we have seen that there is enough information that we can use, because I don't want to charge you a lot of money and then give you a low value. So we want to do it when the value will be there. Yeah. As far as some of the DNA data, let's say, for example, maybe somebody is at risk for type 2 diabetes. Like, is that drawing upon numerous genes that support that? Like, how do you establish that? Yeah, yeah. So we'll need to dive a bit into the genetics. So what we are doing, we are looking at an array, microarray, that has a around 850,000 different single nucleotide polymorphism. So basically, what does it mean? That one nucleotide, so the DNA is built from the nucleic acid, A, G, C, and T, and they are basically double strand. And a lot of the difference between you, Lucas, and Gil are basically single nucleotide polymorphism, meaning that I have C here and you have T, or I have A and you have G or whatever. So those single nucleotide polymorphism are located on this array, and then we can find and see what are the difference in Lucas comparing, let's say, to a, a model person. And then there is a data in the literature that say that if you have this single nucleotide polymorphism, you have a slightly higher risk, let's say, to have high glucose. But what the scientific community developed in the last few years is what I call a score. So basically, you look at tens or hundreds or thousands of those single nucleotide polymorphism, and then based on that, you can come and find what is the risk score for a Lucas to have high glucose. Is it very high, very low? And we can even give you a score between zero to 100. Okay? So that score, it's pretty good. You need to remember that genetics, it's a risk score. The fact that you have a genetic predisposition to high glucose doesn't mean that you have a higher glucose today. It said that you have a risk. And if you look at that, basically how much it's explained in a normal person, you can see that it's usually up to 10%. 
So actually the majority of the cause of whether you have high glucose or high cholesterol or high ad are controlled by you, by your nutrition, by the environment, by your lifestyle. So even if you have high risk for something in the lifestyle related, you have a lot of control in your body. So a lot of people say, oh, it's my genetic, I cannot do anything. And that's wrong. You can do a lot. Maybe you need to work harder because you have predisposition for that. But you can do that. And I like the analogy of going to the casino and playing, let's say, poker. Okay. So you don't control what card you receive when you play poker, but you can control how you play the card. So the genetic are the card that you receive, the lifestyle, the nutrition, the exercise, the supplementation, it's how you play the card. So if you play the card well, even if you had a bad card, you can win. So it's exactly like that. The genetic, it's good to know the genetics. But then when you know that, maybe you need to work harder. That's okay. Work harder and uh, beat your uh, potential. Essentially epigenetics, right? Like that's based upon that term. Yeah. So epigenetic is something else. We can actually get into that. And that's another very exciting part of genetics. So epigenetics, uh, just to explain to your audience, is our modification on top of the genes. Mm. A very common one is methylation. So there is a, what we call CPG island, which means a, a C, phosphate, and G. And those a, a sequences are usually methylated. Mm. And the amount of methylation of those locations can signal to some enzyme in the body whether you can transcribe the gene and then express it or do some other activity in the body. What is interesting that the methylation can, uh, or the uh, uh, epigenetic can control a lot of processes and there are also correlation for disease, but also for longevity. So I would say around 10 years ago, a scientist in UCLA, his name is Steve Hovas, looked at the epigenetics and tried to find a correlation between the methylation of your genome and your age. And he found basically using statistical analysis or machine learning, he found that there is a very strong correlation between a few hundreds methylation site or epigenetic site and the age. So he can predict very nicely without seeing you, Lucas, he can look at it and come and say, hey, you are this age. And it's very, very statistical, it's very, very strong. So that's what is called epigenetic clock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now uh, that was the third generation clock that is, was trained only by age. Now there are other clocks that train based on disease and longevity and other. One of them called Grim Age, basically try to predict when you will die and uh, stuff like that. So those clocks are uh, very interesting. And it's another thing that actually we are looking at to add to Insta Tracker. The issue with those clocks today is that they are not lifestyle responsive, right. meaning. Yeah, you will know that, uh, I don't know, let's say that you are, I don't know, 25 and your epigenetic age is 30. It's very hard for you to modify it. So we are now working on building a clock that is lifestyle responsive. That, okay, if you lead the right uh, diet or if you will exercise the right exercise or if you will uh, change your sleep habit or the lifestyle habit, you can modify your clock. So it's something that we are working on. But in the meantime, we develop a clock based on blood biomarkers so we have what we call inner age, which is basically biological age, that uh, based on uh, around uh, 15 blood biomarkers, we can tell you how old you are internally and compare it to your chronological age. 
and also tell you what is the influence of each biomarkers. We can tell you, hey, your glucose make you one and a half years older, but your LDL cholesterol make you one and a half years younger, and vitamin D make you one and a half years younger, and so on. And then you can focus on the markers that make you older, and we'll give you a specific intervention, and then you can do the inner edge again. And because the blood is changing and they very plastic, you can modulate your inner edge and make it younger if you work hard. Wow. So that's something very cool that we developed. We developed it actually in 2015, together with Lenny Garante, which is the professor that I done the postdoc at MIT, and David Sinclair. So we developed it then, and now we have the second generation, because when we developed it at that time, we had a very small database. Now we have a much bigger database. So we develop it based on our database. And it's a very exciting solution because what is nice about it is give you one number and everyone knows this age and everyone remember what is his inner age. And then you compare all that to say, oh, I'm older, so I need to work hard on that and that and that. It's giving you a lot of motivation to try to beat your uh, chronological age or even become the youngest as possible. Yeah, awesome. So what about as far as like the integration into some of the, um, I know that you've recently added integration to like, different smart devices, Apple Watches. Do you want to sort of expand upon that? Yeah, of course. So as I discussed before, we believe that physiological markers are important. And why it's important? The quality of the data from physiological markers is lower than the blood because it's not a grade of a physician. Physicians usually are not looking at your resting heart rate and deep sleep and REM sleep. They will come to there, but we don't have enough uh, scientific literature for that. But what is nice about it is that the frequency of the data is much higher. So if we are looking at DNA, it's a once in a lifetime because your DNA is stable. And let's say blood biomarker, if you are very engaged, you'll do it every quarter. The physiological marker data come every day. If you have a Fitbit or Garmin or Apple Watch or other, you can receive the data every day. So because mm-hmm. you receive it every day, you can get that data and we can give you some explanation about it And it can be also a proxy for some blood biomarkers. For example, there is a correlation between the resting heart rate and your iron markers, okay? Is the correlation there, Gil, like a low iron would indicate... Yeah, higher resting heart rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if you look at HRV, so it's related to stress or cortisol. So I think that it's not a thing. It can give us a lot of proxy for our blood biomarkers. And also it will make a user more engaged because I see the process of user is coming, uh, getting blood test, and that's an amazing experience. You get a lot of information, the quality, the amount, the, the amount of information, what you need to read, what you need to understand. You basically discover your body from the inside. So I see it as a mountain. It's a big mountain. It's a lot of information, a lot of excitement. I know that the week before I'm getting tested, I eat well, I sleep well, I'm trying to, it's, it's like before you, you get your yearly picture for your, I don't know, in the college or in high school, you try to be the best that you can. But then you have value because again, you cannot do it every day. So what is nice about all the physiological mountain, it can be the hills between, because mm-hmm. then we can come and tell you, hey, you haven't slept well last night, but that's okay. If you'll do X, Y, and Z today, you might improve your deep sleep or REM sleep or whatever. Mm. Or we can tell you, because we have the data from the fitness tracker, we know that you finish an exercise. So we can tell you, hey, uh, Lucas, you finish a one hour run and uh, now you need to replenish your uh, liquid 
or you need to replenish the protein. So we develop an algorithm that will tell you exactly based on your age and gender and activity that you've done and all of that, what do you need to drink? How much you need to drink? What do you need to eat? How much you need to drink? What is the window that you should do it? I think that there is a lot of confusion right now for an average person to understand what to do, and we are giving them a tool to do that. So yeah. we, we develop a lot of small uh, uh, mini application like that that give you a value between the mountains of the blood test. So that's, yeah. uh, that's how we use the data from the fitness trackers. Yeah. Now, I know before you mentioned that you're waiting for stronger data to come out in the field of like the microbiome. What does the future look like for inside trackers? Do you have any other like, you know, big plans, like ideas in mind? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as you mentioned, we are looking into adding uh, the microbiome. We are actively working on building a lifestyle responsive epigenetic clock, which we discussed before. We are also looking into integration of continuous glucose monitoring that uh, I'm sure that you and your uh, audience heard about it. Today, there are some direct-to-consumer solutions, but there is looking at that uh, is like uh, having a horse with a blinder because you look at one biomarker uh, in a separation. So yeah, maybe when I eat oatmeal, my post-meal glucose peak is higher but maybe it's good for my uh, LDL or maybe it's good. So we, we are trying to combine it together with the blood. Again, the blood is the liquid gold and give you a better assessment of your body. And it's great that you have a continuous glucose monitoring. Actually, the vendors that build the continuous glucose monitoring are now building a continuous keto monitoring. So I think that even in a few months, you will start having a continuous keto bodies monitoring. Oh, keto, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Ketones, okay. Ketones, and uh, uh, there will be other. Uh, some uh, companies are looking at continuous triglyceride monitoring. So I think that all of that can be very cool. Some saying that maybe Apple is trying to do continuous glucose monitoring using the Apple Watch. So there will be a lot of interesting, I don't believe it because it will be very hard and I'm not sure that it will be accurate, but there are some rumors about that. So I think that there is a lot of excitement about that, but that's the inputs. What I'm uh, really working on right now is what I described before, the hills between the mountains. So data from a fitness tracker, but also it's very easy right now for us to record the activity that you've done. You have a Fitbit, Garmin, Apple Watch, Oura Ring, whatever, a whoop, and you know exactly what you've done. But it's very hard to know what you enter into your body. Like nutrition is hard. Let me give you an example. Average person spend, uh, maybe make maybe 200 different decisions a day about nutrition. What should I eat? When should I eat? How much should I eat? And all of that. That's a very hard. That's the hardest problem. So we are trying to work on a solution to allow us at least to maybe understand you for a week. So to do a recall for a week, every quarter, let's say. And uh, during that recall, we have a very good technology that you basically can use your phone, uh, scan the food, and uh, it will recognize exactly what you ate. Then we know what you ate, when you ate it, what is the amount that you ate. And then we can understand you better because usually what you eat in a week is, I would say, 90% cover what you eat in the other week. Mm. And then we can start giving you some correction. 
let me give you an example. We can even build a heat map and say, hey, Lucas, every time that you are in this area, let's say that this area is the area of pubs that you like to go, that's not a good area for you. <laughs> Gave you a, an alarm sound. Go, go, stay away from that area. That's a bad area for you. Or another area that I don't know, the park that you are used to run, that's a great area. will uh, give you a nice music that uh, will make you happy. So stuff like that to allow you to understand yourself. And then, for example, when you go into a restaurant, because we know so much about your blood biomarkers and what you do and what you exercise, we can tell you, hey, Lucas, we realized that you went to restaurant X. The best food in this restaurant for you is this dish. The second best is this dish. The third best is this dish. Then it's your decision to make. So giving you a lot of tools to allow you to live better, longer life. That's the basically the vision of Insight Tracker. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned like with the glucose monitor and you said it's very like hyper fixated on just one metric or one marker. I said the exact same thing because I obviously I love experimenting. I got myself, I've gone through like three CGM devices and I became to hyperfixate on just glucose when it was like, if we were to check that meal, the post meal, what about triglycerides? What about insulin? What about glucagon? What about all these other hormones that matter? I think that's a really good point. But as far as the future of, I mean, we just sort of mentioned like future plans for Inside Tracker. It does sound really amazing. If my listeners want to learn more about Inside Tracker, where can they go to like learn more about it? Yeah, so they definitely can go to InsideTracker.com and learn more. We are also on social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. So I think that it's pretty easy to go there and learn more. One point that I wanted to say is that when I started, I started with my fascination for longevity. So we started recently a podcast about longevity. We call it Longevity by Design, and we interviewed already around 15 leaders in the longevity field, David Sinclair and a lot of other, Andrew Uberman, if you heard about oh, yeah. him. Yeah. But a lot of other scientists, very good scientists that maybe they are not as known as David Sinclair, but they are doing a very good job in studying longevity. And that's another place that if someone is excited about longevity, they can come and visit our podcast. We are releasing podcasts every other week. And we have a lot of very interesting guests that have already been out, but a lot that are going to be out soon. So that's another place to learn more about, not in tracker, but about longevity and my uh, passion of longevity. Right. I'll uh, make sure to leave those linked in the show notes for my listeners, but uh Otherwise, Gil, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, Lucas. That was a pleasure and continue to do the amazing job that you're doing. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 